Well, if you have your Bibles, we have been in the book of Joshua this past month and ministering in the series, uh, The Call to Canaan. And this morning, we are going to look in Joshua chapter 6, and this morning's message, Victory Over Jericho. How many is ready for the victory? Glory? Uh, We claim that this morning. And that is victory over Jericho. Our key text this morning is Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. Now, we're going to camp in chapter 6 this morning, but I want to look at the key text. Verse 20. It reads, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people, note, shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Glory. Glory number one. Somebody told me last week, actually came and said, I kept track of all the glories. I think you did eight. I got a mark right down. So they weren't taking notes. They were just jotting down the marks. But anyway, but anyway. Well, Jericho. Jericho was approximately 17 miles northeast of Jerusalem, and its location was strategic. It was a few miles west of the Jordan. Israel has, uh, they were camping on the east side of the Jordan, They had to cross the Jordan to enter into Canaan's land. Now, interesting. From Jericho, uh, Jericho was close enough that even from the east side of the Jordan River, they could see from the camp of Israel the city of Jericho. They could see its walls. Uh... Commentaries say the great walls of Jericho were approximately 25 feet high and 20 feet wide. And so much so that the soldiers on top of the walls of Jericho, they could actually see for miles any approach of any enemy army that would be approaching their city. So sometimes... Uh, These walls were also surrounded by an outer wall with a moat between the walls. So I say all that to say this. Jericho was a formidable city that Israel had to face. Now up to this point, everything that the Israelites had experienced was preparatory for what was about to happen. Now it was time to act. Now it was time to engage the enemy. And it's important to know that the destruction of Jericho must take place before they take over the promised land that God had already promised them. 
They have already prepared. They have spent three days in preparation, sanctifying themselves, obeying God. They, there was circumcision. They observed the Passover. Now it was time to go forward. This was not a defensive action. This was an offensive action by the people of God. They must now take the initiative. I shared last week, up until this point, they followed the leading of God through the wilderness for over 30 years. Again, they had the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day. When the pillar of fire or the cloud would settle, they would settle. When the cloud or the fire would move, they would move. So God was in the lead. But now, they were at a point in their story and in their relationship that they must now act on what they believe. May I say in our spiritual warfare, which we are involved in, is not meant to be passive. It is active. And may I say, it's not just we're on the defense. No, we're on the offense. It's not a matter like the old song, hold the fort, wave the ant. No, we're on the offense. In the kingdom of God, his kingdom is advancing. His kingdom is advancing against what? The kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of Satan. We are on the attack. It's the kingdom of God that is expanding and growing and moving. And you and I are a part of the great army of God. He hasn't called us to be passive. He's called us to move forward. He's called us to take action. And so the good news is, Aren't you thankful God always has a plan of attack? It's, you know, he, he said in a number of places in the Old Testament, not just to Joshua, he said, the battle is not yours, the battle is mine. Now, if the battle is his, and it is, guess what? Two things. Number one, victory is assured. Why? Because number two, he has the plan of attack. Now, let me just say briefly here, because, uh, you know, uh, uh, what was it, last week, uh, the freezing stuff, we, did we have church last week, or was it two weeks? I don't know, folks, I had a birthday, things aren't what they used to be, but anyway, <laughs> so I had five messages I was going to speak this month, because of five Sundays, so I had to determine which one to speak today, but the one I was going to speak on last week, let me just give you a little brief synopsis, because I think it is important. I'm not going to preach another message, so don't get worried or anxious. You know, God forbid we should get too much word of the God, you know. In our... But in chapter 5, before they cross over and they take Jericho, no, Joshua is alone. He's by himself. Very important we understand that. And while he is alone, why is the commander, the leader of Israel, by himself and alone? It's interesting, while he is alone, that is when the Lord shows up. 
little lesson here which we already know, but we need to practice more often. In our busy and hurried and active lives, we are busier than we've ever been. But I'll tell you what, there comes times where we must separate ourselves from the busyness of life and get alone. And you will find it's in the solitude, it's in the aloneness that we're never alone. God has a way of of showing up and while he was alone in contemplation out of the corner of his eye he notices something maybe a glimmer from the sun he turns and he looks and there is a warrior dressed in full battle array and I love what Joshua does which speaks of his military proudness And that is, are you for us or against us? And he says, neither. And then he says, take your shoes off, Joshua, for you are on holy ground. Guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, in full battle gear, showed up to Joshua and presented himself when he was alone. Glory. He lets Joshua know that the battle is his. And in that time alone with the Lord, the Lord, imagine, <laughs> it, the battle belongs to the Lord, so he shows up in battle gear. Isn't that comforting? And the Lord shares with him the plan of action. Now, the real challenge for Joshua, I've always believed, once he has heard from the Lord and he returns to his camp, he calls his commanders around him and he shares the battle plan with his commanders. That was the challenge. And we all know the story, so let's look at this. So, prepared for victory. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at it. Verses 1 and 2, prepared for victory. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, this is before the battle even begins, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. The first two verses of chapter 6, the Lord assures Joshua that I've already given it to you. The enemy, the people of Jericho were not willing to fight Israel out in the open, but they remained inside the city. They went into a defensive mode. The Lord struck fear in the hearts of the enemy. In fact, in chapter 2, we won't go there, but verses 9 through 11, we read that last week where Rahab hid the two spies and Rahab told the two spies, she revealed to them that all of Jericho were, was in fear and anxious and terror had stricken their hearts. And she told those two spies, she said, we have heard how 
God has delivered you from Egypt. We heard how God rolled back the Red Sea and you crossed through and then the whole Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea. Friend, let me say, when God shows up, rumors spread. People hear it. So, note the contrast. There was fear in the enemy's camp. But according to verse 2, there was faith in the Israeli camp. For God said in verse 2, he said, I have given the city to you. I have given, that phrase there in the Hebrew is what is known as the tense of a, a prophetic verb. It's the idea of a prophetic perfect. I have already delivered the city into your hand. What, what does that mean? The Lord is describing a future action as if it has already been accomplished. How many knows that God inhabits eternity? God, when it comes to time, and I know this is a little bit of mind-blowing, but you know what? When we discuss the eternality of God, there's a lot of mystery there, and I'm good with mystery because that increases my faith, not decreases it. Because there's a lot about God I just don't know. If I could figure everything out about God, he wouldn't be a very big God. Since he inhabits eternity, he could tell Joshua, the city's already yours. May I say this morning, there's walls in your life right now that you may be staring at, but God wants you to know, I've already delivered. I'm already there in your future. It's future to you, but it's present to me, and the victory is yours. Quit staring at the wall. A lot of Christians just staring at the wall all the time. And it's the Christian that's scared rather than the enemy. God has declared victory already. It is assured. And here they were called upon to view the situation with the eyes of faith. Naturally speaking, the walls are still standing. The soldiers are on top of the wall staring at them. But in God's eyes, the victory is already assured. Jericho then was, I love this, Jericho then was God's donation to Israel. It was God's donation to Israel, so this victory would be completely attributed to God. It's God's desire that he gets all the glory and that there's no room for our boasting and say, look what I have done. It's a matter of praise God. Look what he has done in my life. It humbles us. It causes us to awe before God. And that's exactly where he wants us. Look at... Verses 3 through 5. Secondly, not only prepared for victory, but planned for victory. Verses 3 through 5. You shall march. Now, here comes the plan, okay? Keeping what I just shared to you about the city and its size. Okay? You shall march around the city, all you men of war. 
You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Verse 5. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up. The plan for victory. I said last week and I'll say it again now. God's plan was not logical. How many agree with that? Naturally speaking, it was not logical. Just because God promised them victory and told them the city was already theirs, that doesn't mean they were now to, okay, God's given us the victory. They weren't called to sit around and watch the walls crumble. They were not called to sit and wait for God to do his thing. No. God promises us, God's promises to us never absolves us of responsibility and action. He never releases us from our responsibility. We must act on his commands if we want to experience the victory of God. It's not around sitting and just waiting for him to do his thing. God says move. They reviewed his commands thus far. They arrived at Canaan, and as I said, they've prepared for three days. Now, according to this plan here, they're to march around the city one time for six days. Then on the seventh day, they're to march around the city wall seven times, blasting the trumpets, and then all the people are to shout with a great shout. Now keep in mind the natural. The walls, the city, they're formidable. What's wrong with this plan? (laughs) It doesn't sound, it certainly does, as I said, it doesn't make military sense. It's as if the army of Israel and the people of Israel are sitting ducks. But you know what? God never leaves us to our own devices. He doesn't need our logic. And the most logical thing we can do is trust an illogical God. Paul said his ways are way above our ways. His foolishness is more intelligent than the wise men of the world. That's God. So God's plan for victory. Then you have the idea that God's plan, uh, as I said before, God's plan always promotes his glory. God's ways are meant to humble. It does basically at the same time, it humbles our pride, and yet at the same time, it exalts His holy and mighty name. It brings glory to Himself, which is what God wants in the first place. And so I can imagine Joshua, after he has heard from his commander-in-chief, he calls his council of war and declares to them the Lord's plan. 
And there are trumpets to be blown, and the people are to shout. Now, there were two kinds of trumpets in Israel. There were the trumpets used for military purposes that were blown before battle. And then there were the ram's horns that were used to signify great festivals and jubilee and celebration. Interesting. The conquest of Jericho was not just a military exercise. It was the ram's horns celebrating the presence of almighty glory. I'll tell you what, our battles become celebrations. Why? It's an opportunity that God's going to show up. And rather than worry and fear, I can blow the ram's horns rather than the military trumpets, knowing God's going to show up and give a mighty deliverance. Let's worship him in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the vic- in the midst of the battle. We celebrate. That's what God's people do. Are you crazy? Do you know what you're facing? I sure do. Glory be to God. Sounds crazy, but you know, God's people have always been considered a little crazy. So, the conquest of Jericho was not exclusively then a military exercise as much as a religious one declaring the presence of God. And so these trumpets declared the invisible God. And I love this. On the seventh day, they've been just marching around one time a day for six days. But on the seventh day, they're going to blow the ram's horn and they're going to circle seven times. Now, militarily speaking, think of it. The enemy army could have easily dropped and thrown on them arrows and all kinds of weaponry as they marched around the city. They could have attacked them and dispersed their line. But can you imagine what the enemy thought? When they see this, these people marching around their city, Blowing trumpets for seven times? In other words, Israel was allowing God to glorify himself. And uh, 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 this is what I think of. While they're marching around, you with me? Glory. God's tightening the noose around the neck of Jericho and getting ready to destroy them. All Israel had to do was obey. Seven times. In Scripture we know number seven represents God's number. The number of perfection. This victory would be seen by the inhabitants of Canaan as more than mere human victory. The ark of God was placed right in the middle of that procession. The ark of God representing the presence of God. The presence of God was right in the midst of His people. God didn't send them out there by themselves. God went with them. 
Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 33. He said, in this world, you're going to have all kinds of tribulations and trials and troubles. Nothing is further from the gospel truth than to say, surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You'll have no more problems. No, surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Get a whole new set of problems. Because before you were saved, you didn't have any problem with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Once you get saved, that is added to your... You know, you're problems. But aren't you thankful Jesus didn't stop there? He said, but be of good cheer. Celebrate. Blow the ram's horn. Shout. For I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So guess what? God's in the midst. Keep marching. God's in the midst. Blow the trumpets. God's in the midst. Keep shouting. God's in the midst. Keep believing. And God will show his power and his might. The ark of God was right smack dab in the middle of this crazy parade around Jericho. Then thirdly, the procedure to victory. Verses 6 and 7. Let's look at that. Chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Verse 7. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. Verse 11. So we have the Ark of the Lord circle the city going around at once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. So for six days they did that. Just marched around, silence, went back to the camp and lodged. Verses 15 and 16. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout to the Lord, for he has given you the city. Wow. Joshua obeyed God's command. Now, no battle plan appeared to be more unreasonable than this. Yet Joshua was an astute military leader. He knew that the enemy, as I said before, could rain down on them arrows or rush out of the walls and cause confusion and mayhem among the ranks. But this is what God directed and who were we to question God's plan? I'll be honest, there's been times in my Christian experience where there's a been a tendency to question God. And I'm sure none of you have ever done that. It's almost as if when we question God, it's almost as if we're saying, and think how foolish this sounds, Lord, you know what you're doing. Lord, do you know? I always think of uh, poor Ananias there 
in Acts chapter 9 when, God, when Jesus confronted Saul and knocked him off his high horse and appeared to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then the Lord sends, tells him what's he going to do. I want you to go to Damascus, to the street called Straight, and you're going to meet a man by the name of Ananias. He's going to lay hands on you. And God struck him with blinds. You're going to be healed and all that. And I'm going to, I'll tell you later then when you get there. But you look for the man named Ananias. Now, here's the point. On the other hand, there's Ananias. Ananias, I'm sending you Saul. I want you to pray for him. Lay hand. Now, Ananias, he's human. How many still human here this morning? The fact that you're still sitting here and haven't been translated into heaven like Elijah lets me know you have your faults too. So don't get sanctimonious on me. But anyway... (laughs) Ananias, I love this. Ananias said, because this is me at times. Lord, do you know who Saul is? Lord, he's been persecuting Christians, arresting them, even taking them to their execution. And I understand he's got papers to come here. And you want me to what? God doesn't expect, and I've been saying this all along, when God gives a clear command, he doesn't want analysis. He wants obedience. He doesn't call us to analyze. He calls us to simply obey. And so here is the same thing. Joshua obeyed exactly. And the reason he obeyed exactly because that was the only way to real victory since it was God's plan. God always has an order to follow. God always has a plan and a procedure toward victory. It's either his way or no way. Now there was a twofold purpose for the trumpet blast. First of all, to strike terror in the hearts of the enemy. But secondly, to inspire the hearts of God's people in courage and confidence. So while the trumpets are blasting, it's striking terror in the hearts of the enemy, but amongst the people of God, when they hear those ram's horns blowing, there comes an excitement and a confidence and a courage. Let's go! Israel obeys God's command. They acted on it. They just did it. Now, understand, they didn't act on sight. They acted on faith. Because when they blew the trumpets, they acted on faith. The walls had not yet fallen down, but yet they were commanded by God to do these things. The scripture says, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. Here is a strange parade that wound itself around the city. To make it a little more detailed here, they say Jericho was approximately eight or nine acres in size. And to march around the city one lap would take approximately 30 minutes to do one lap. They would march back for six days after doing 30 minutes of a walk around the city, go back to the camp, nothing changed, the walls were still standing. And I always think, what in the world is the enemy thinking of this strange approach? 
verses 15 and 16, we saw where God demands and they act in faith and obedience. There's no change in procedure. The seventh day, they now go around seven times, approximately three hours of marching around that wall. May I say this morning that in our lives, trials and troubles that Jesus talked about may actually intensify before we see the deliverance of God. And when those trials and difficulties and challenges intensify even more, that's when it becomes sometimes a temptation to call it quits or to back away or to do something else. But the Lord is assuring you this morning, I don't care how intense it gets. I don't care how much worse it gets. You keep marching. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. You will see the glory of God. It might get worse before it gets better, but get ready for I have already given you the city. Glory. The whole time they're marching, the wall is still intact. And then look at verse 20. We have the actual providential victory. Verse 20 again. So the people shouted. And when the priest blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went straight up into the city. Note, that was a great shout of faith. The people gave a shout. Now imagine those people shouting. Imagine how it reverberated through the hills and how it terrorized the city within. Hebrews 11.30 says this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had encircled it for seven days. Note, it's not trust in God when we don't obey God. Trust in God means we obey God and that's proof of our trust. They shouted in spite, I love this, they shouted in spite of what they saw. They shouted in the reward of faith, the walls of Jericho collapsed. It was an act of God. It was accomplished by faith. It was a response of God to their implicit obedience. God demands obedience first before he fulfills his promises. The problem is, in our fast-paced world today, we want blessing without obedience. We want victory without action. We want revelation without reading. We want the product without the process. God says if you're going to experience victory, this is what you follow. This is what you do. These are the steps you take. And God shows up. We want it now. We want it quick. No, God wants to hear me this morning. This is, this is, this is what the Lord is telling you. God wants you to continue to take laps. Are you listening this morning? There's some of you here who need encouragement. Continue taking those laps. But understand this. 
He is at work. He is faithful. You have no clue what's going on behind the scenes of your life. But I can assure you with all confidence this morning, God is at work in the secrecy of your life. What you don't know, God knows and sees. And hear me this morning, He is at work. You keep taking those laps. God will show up. Glory! Come on, give it up for the Lord this morning. Why? Because it's His victory, not mine. So I close with this. Joshua and the people carried out God's directions to the letter. God's plan seemed absolutely unreasonable, yet they complied. They proved their trust in God through their implicit obedience. And God requires us to do the same, to carry out His instructions for every situation. The Scripture says we're not to lean unto our own understanding or resort to our own devices and give up on His. God's Word is our absolute authority for life and faith. If I want victory in my life, I can't ignore the book. If I want victory in my life, I can't ignore His living Word. Father loves us. And He desires to bless us. We may not understand again what's going on, but we do know this. He loves us beyond comprehension. He will never leave us in a lurch. So again, the most logical thing we can do today is trust an illogical God. Keep taking the laps. Because He doesn't need our logic. He just wants our obedience. Then and only then will God's glory be displayed in our lives. Amen. Pastor Sean, would you come? Aren't you thankful we serve a God like that? I said again this past week, and we just need to hear it. We already know it. But the same God we serve today is the same God of Moses and Joshua. He's the same God that was there at Jericho is the same God that's in your life today. And so when we read God's Word, the wonderful thing about reading God's Word and hearing all these stories is that knowing that God is the eternal same, that that's my God. Today, I can trust God because I have His Word on it. I see examples of it. I see stories of it. And God will show up. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
God desires. In fact, I wrote this down on my notes this morning. I felt very strong with this and I want to repeat it again. Because I believe the Lord, there's some people here, you need to hear this. And this, is, this isn't me, this is the Lord. The Lord would tell you this morning, stop staring at the walls. Stop staring at the walls. Stop staring at the walls. And know that I am God. Hallelujah. Lift your hands this morning. Lift your hands this morning and thank Him. Praise Him. Glory. Glory.